we keep it very simple. Jesus Gospel Seattle. We exist because Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, entered into human history to save us from mm. ourselves, from our sin, and from our, all, all our deeds that we've done against him to redeem us and to make us his own and to give us a life in him. And that is why we are a church, because of that good news, the gospel. That is the driving force in absolutely everything we do and making our whole name about him in this place we call Seattle. Um, to that end, we do very simple things, and we, we try and keep what we do as a church simple. Uh, we do four main things. We, we gather, we train, we do community, and we send. And so this is our gathering. We come together as the people of God to make much of the name of Jesus, to open God's word, uh, uh, to know one another, to love one another, and to make much of his name. Uh, in addition to that, we train. That's our Bible studies. That's our uh, uh, discipleship stuff we do when we get together one-on-one -on -one and do discipleship. Uh, we do life in community. We're, we're a church that believes in membership, and we believe what it is to be a member of this church is to help other people follow Jesus and have other people help us follow Jesus and to take a responsibility for our people and for that people to take a responsibility for us. Uh, in addition to that, we, we send. We, we partner with those who are doing what Jesus told us to do in Matthew 28, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Um, uh, and so one of the ways we do that is we, we uh, partner with Vision Nationals in India, and uh, Pastor Joseph there. Uh, and one of the wonderful things we get to do as a people is we work with a group and are part of a group called Three Strand. It's a, local, a group of uh, small, a small group of local churches uh, from about Bellingham to Seattle. Uh, and today we have the privilege of having Brian McSwan, who is in the process of, with Three Strand, planting Legacy Church in Bellingham, uh, which is awesome. I, I have personal uh, affinity there because myself and my wife are both from Whatcom County, and we love uh, Bellingham personal and relational way, uh, and we, we're really excited to know some of the core uh, to that plant are here, and we're really uh, thankful and praying for you. Well, good morning. It's announcements. <laughs> Jesus is awesome. There we go. Um, you know, as a person, uh, if I may speak to you personally, uh, those of you who are part of that core who are here. Sorry. Weird morning. Yeah. There you go. Uh, we just got back from. The You're Deming making Logging me feel Street. a lot more comfortable. <laughs> so we're, we're soaked. We're soaked in Belling. We just got back from the Deming Logging Show. We're so, so we're soaked in our hometown. Uh, I I was as typical Bellingham as it comes. Um, you know, highly uh, pluralistic, Buddhist, etc., etc., etc. Punk rocker who thought that the, the seven inch or the record before they went. Uh, public was the better record, and that if you like that other record, then you're no good. Uh, I was Bellingham, you know, one part hippie, one part county, uh, and we call it the county, not the country, it's the county. Um, and I was woefully and completely lost. And even people I knew in mm. Bellingham when I met Jesus said, You? How did you meet Jesus? Because Jesus is the God of the universe who is at work through the churches uh, on this planet to save people, and you are going ambassadors to a very dark place that needs Jesus very desperately, and it's not about how good your church plant is, it is about how good the Lord Jesus Christ is, mm -hmm. and you go as his Come disciples on. and his ambassadors to a place that desperately needs him. So thank you for what you're doing, thank you for being here this morning to be with uh, our church, uh, so if you're part of that, um, just know you're being prayed for, uh, and it's a pleasure to have Brian and y'all here. Um, so thank you for coming, thank you for being here. Yeah. Um, I'll let it, I'll, I'll pray for you and I'll just give you the cool. mic. Cool, go for it. Go. Thanks, man. Uh, King Jesus, this is your day and you are our God. Uh, I thank you that two churches can come together uh, to worship your name uh, and that you brought people down uh, from Bellingham. I do pray your blessing on both of our cities, but specifically want to lift up Bellingham to you today, Lord God. Uh, you are the King and the Redeemer. It is a dark city and the light shines in the darkness. Uh, the darker a city, the greater the light. And so I pray for Legacy Church as you are planting it, as you are establishing it, Lord Jesus. Yeah. God, that you would save many people in that city, that you would fortify and strengthen the saints in that city. And, and Lord Jesus, that you would transform Bellingham, uh, not just so it would be a nicer place to live. It's a plenty nice place to live. But Lord God, that it would be a godly place to live and that your saints who live and exist and breathe and live mm. there would carry the good news wherever they go. Mm. It is a beautiful place. And I pray that the people who don't see it would know that you made that beauty. 
Uh, it's a lost place, and I pray that people would understand that they've made themselves your enemies, and you are in the business of making your enemies your friends through your blood and through your cross, and there's nothing we can do to earn uh, your love, uh, but that you have poured it out upon us. Mm -hmm. I pray for Brother Brian as he approaches your word today that things that are of him would be forgotten, but the things that are of you yeah. would just be lifted mm -hmm. Thank up you, that would lead us into a passionate worship of you both yeah. today and with our uh, week and with our lives, and I pray that we would again and afresh and anew dedicate our lives to the truth of who you are, Jesus, mm. the beauty of your gospel, and the reality of your death, mm. burial, resurrection, and the new life you've given us. Mm. Jesus, we love you. Pray for Brian. Pray for this time. Pray these things in your name. Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. Thanks, man. Thank you. Well, now that you've been preached to, uh, we're going to be in 1 John this morning. Uh, 1 John chapter 2, 28, at the end, all the way into chapter 3. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and uh, bust it open. And just by uh, way of introduction, as Andrew said, my name is Brian. Uh, my wife, Shauna, is here. Shauna, raise your hand. She's right there. And that's, oh, Hunt, that's our oldest, Hunter. The other two are McKenna and Karis are in the kids' uh, ministry playing with your kids, those of you that have kids. And... Uh, yeah, we just turned the clock on 13 years being married, and we are like in the middle of this crazy adventure of preparing to plant a church. Um, all of the Christian life is a faith journey. The last couple of years have been, uh, have been uh, more exaggerated for us. And so uh, a few years ago, uh, I left my job at one of the larger churches in our area to uh, the complete unknown of what God would call us to. And so right now I work as uh, a carpenter and pretty much anything else that I can do with my hands to support our family. And we've got a core group of people that's been meeting together for about a year and a half in our living room, praying and studying the word and uh, with a passion to reach those that don't know uh, Jesus in Bellingham, which is many of our family and friends and um, those that we're connected with. And so uh, that has led us into uh, desiring to plant uh, a, a vision to plant Legacy Church, which we hope will be a gospel-centered church, uh, and we will be a gospel-centered people. It will be a multiplying church of disciples making disciples, and it will be a church-planting church that exists not just for itself, but to send and plant other churches. So to be with you this morning is like, it is awesome to be with brothers and sisters in Christ. Wherever you go across the globe, like when you get with brothers and sisters in Christ, hopefully your heart just like leaps for joy and you're like, man, this like, heaven is going to be incredible when we're all together. But that's awesome. It's also great to be with uh, a church that feels like extended family that we haven't met yet, <laughs> you know, as a part of the Three Strand Network. It feels, uh, Andrew has been a great help and encouragement to me uh, in this season as we've been uh, training and preparing and Lord willing, uh, sending through the three strand churches and partnering with you guys uh, to, to bring the kingdom, you know, to Bellingham. And so that's uh, that's been huge. He's been a personal encouragement. Like right now, personally discipling me through biblical theology, which like two weeks ago I thought I knew what it was, and now I'm totally confused. So, um, so he's got me going through this huge stack of books that we'll get together and further, hopefully, bring some clarity this week. Uh, but uh, it's just great to be with you guys today. And um, so uh, thank you for having us, and thank you for praying for us. Andrew, thanks for praying for us, and um, it's great to have our core group here. And uh, I hope that even, uh, one, to be able to encourage you from God's word, uh, first and foremost. But second, I hope to be able to meet as many of you as possible before we leave and just bring, make some connections uh, so that you can continue to pray for us and we can be praying for you and partner together for the sake of the gospel. So anyways, so thanks for being here. Let's see if uh, I think that's it for introduction. So um, I'm not sure if you guys do this all the time, but uh, I like it when we stand in honor of God's word. So would you guys stand together with me? And we're going to be in 1 John 2.28 and going from there. Um, so I'm reading from the ESV, 1 John 2.28, follow along with me. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, 
we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but what we know, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one has been born of God, makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who you are, the children of God, and who are the children of the devil. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, we ask this morning that your Holy Spirit would take the Word of God and that you would, God, give us a fresh and new and moving picture of your Son, Jesus Christ. Would you awaken us and reawaken us today for the supremacy of Jesus in our lives and in the church? With all of the voices and all of the influences that are in the world and the culture that is creeping into the church, would you remind us today of who we are because of you? Remind us today of your love. Remind us today what you accomplished on our behalf. Remind us today, root us and ground us today, God, in who you are and who we are as your kids. And Lord, even as we look at a passage that is black and white, that is very explicit, Jesus, would you be the central object of our focus and attention, and would you stir in us a new affection of what it means to call you Father, and to be your sons and your daughters. And so, God, today we ask that you would do what only you can do. That your Holy Spirit would come and move through an imperfect message and an imperfect messenger, but you would take your word and speak to every person that's here. Those that are here from Bellingham, but Lord, especially Anchor Church. God, would you remind them, individually and corporately, as a body, of their sonship and their daughtership, God, that they belong to you. So we give you this time and ask Jesus that you would be glorified in this place. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, go ahead and grab a seat. And we're going to get to work this morning. Uh, as you guys know, I'm assuming you've been through I've uh, been working through together this, uh, this epistle from John uh, to the Turkish churches in Asia. And, uh, and John is writing this, this straight up, black and white, no nonsense uh, kind of letter to them. Uh, he's encouraging them with all the basics of the faith. He's encouraging them in their uh, the, to know that they really belong to the Lord, to be, have assurance of their salvation. Now that's going to be seen in their love for God. It's going to be seen in uh, their righteousness and how they love uh, one another. And so he just makes it black and white, says, you want to know, if you're wondering who's for real and who's for not, he's speaking into a church where uh, 
there may be some confusion of who are the legit believers. Uh, it kind of brings us to this tension of like there's this, there's this visible church and the invisible church. There's those that claim to follow Jesus and that are gathered here this morning and in churches all over uh, the United States and all over the world that are here to worship Jesus. That's the visible expression of the church. But there's an invisible part that only God knows who are truly His. He's the only one that sees our hearts. He's the only one that knows who's faking it. He's the only one that knows whether we're working for our salvation out of our own self-righteousness or those that have been identified and purchased and sealed by the blood of Christ. And, and even today, you know, as we gather, you know, and John just gets like this black and white thing. There may be some of you today that as you're hearing the message go, I thought I was a Christian, but now I'm not so sure. And then there's others that are going to go, man, now I know. Now I know. Now I'm assured of my, my place as a child of God. Now I know who I am again. Thank you, John, for reminding me of who I am. But as John makes it black and white with like two kinds of people, the message goes out this morning, there are two kinds of people both in the church and in the world. There are those that belong to God. They are adopted as his sons and his daughters and those that are, God wants to adopt as his sons and his daughters. That God is crazy about those that are far from him and in rebellion to him. And he, so if you find yourself at some point along the way here this morning going, man, I'm not really sure he wants you to be sure today. And so we'll uh, journey this together. If you're following along with me in uh, verse 28, he says, And now, little children, John addresses uh, the church. He addresses these believers whom he dearly loves, as he calls them children, but almost from a position of, uh, of like a higher spirituality. <laughs> Speaking of higher, it feels weird to be this tall. I'm really only 5'7". What's going to happen is I'm going to get off the stage and you're going to go, oh wow, you're really shorter like on the ground floor. But John, he starts, you know, not in a way of like condescending, talking down to them, but a way of authority and affection Saying, man, and, and I think he's almost reminding them from the beginning that you're children. You're children of someone. He says, abide in him. This word means uh, remain in him. So that when he appears, we have confidence and not shrink from him at the shame of his coming. This word abide, if you read uh, John's gospel and, and throughout all of John's literature, he says it over and over and over. And so it's, this verb, it means to remain in him, to be connected uh, in him. Uh, John 15 is a great commentary on this. It's like, how, how do we know that we're abiding? Well, it's like a, a branch is connected to a tree that we are going to bear fruit because we're connected to him. We can do nothing apart from him. And he's saying, so Christian, abide, remain in Jesus so that there's a purpose to it. Not just so that you feel great. Not just so that you can be effective for the kingdom. He says, so that you may have confidence. That word is confidence means boldness. It literally means lacking shame. It's the opposite of what he's about to say. You may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Jesus is returning for his true church. His imminent coming. He is coming again. And whether we believe or not or accept it or not, the truth is we will all stand face to face before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords someday soon and be accountable and judged for our life. And that is a terrifying truth to like start to wrap our minds around. 
So how do we, in any way, how do we have confidence to stand before a holy God because of all of the, our own sin and all of our own rebellion, everything that we've done in secret, all that we've done in, in thought and acted in that maybe others don't even know, the sins and the thoughts that we continually struggle with that we know are not of the Lord, we know that He knows and those things will be brought into the light. And all the sins that others have done to us, those of us that have been uh, abused, those of us that have uh, been wronged deeply and are carrying those wounds, and that shame that you battle, will you be able to look Jesus in the eye? Will you be able to have confidence and boldness when you stand before him? And this became a reality for me, this this tension is I grew up in the church my whole life. My, by the grace of God, my parents became believers who are here this morning, became believers right around the time that I was born in 1980. And so they grew in their faith. And as I grew up, and I grew up in the church, and I knew the truth about Jesus and all about him. I knew that Jesus loves me. I knew that he died for my sins. I knew that he rose from the dead, conquered sin. He forgave me of my sins, and that he's in heaven, and that I'm going to be there with him someday. I had all of that. I believed all of it. And then in November 28th, 1999, two weeks before my 19th birthday, I had a backcountry snowboarding accident on Mount Baker. I was buried in a crevasse for over an hour with the possibility of survival dwindling every minute. And there came a moment 90 feet beneath the surface of the snow where I realized and started... I may be minutes away, not a lifetime away, not like die of old age away, as we always think when we're 19, like, but I may be minutes away from standing before God. And this thought, and this terrifying thought just entered my mind. I felt like God just said, you wasted your life. You've taken the truth of the gospel and just pushed it aside. And by God's grace, both physically and spiritually, he rescued me miraculously from this situation. And I went back to my college dorm room and I opened up the New Testament, started reading through Matthew. And for the first time in my life, not reading the Bible because I knew it was the right thing to do, but in order to truly know God and who he is, and I, I got to the Sermon on the Mount. Have you read the Sermon on the Mount? I mean, like, actually read it and go, man, wrestled through it. And in Matthew 7, he talks about to these religious, he's speaking to these religious, this religious elite, and he hammers and just says, you who have done all this ministry in my name, cast out demons in my name, you've been to church, and I'm reading it, I'm like, yeah, youth group, mission trips, you know, Awana, memorize verses for candy, like, I did it all, you know, and I'm like the, like, church boy, yet living a life far from Christ, and, and then there's a statement where Jesus says, behold, I'll say to them, I never knew you. I realized, man, if Jesus were to like come back right now, in that moment, I was going, man, where would I stand? Would I know him? Would he know me? Would he know? Am I his? I knew that I wasn't. I knew that there was more to believing in that moment than actually just spouting off the facts. And there's always... For those of us that have grown up in the church where the message of the gospel becomes so repetitive, sometimes it loses its punch. And we, you know, there's, there's just a difference between a person who knows grace as a biblical idea and then a person who's been to the bottom and been saved and they know grace as a personal experience. 
and John's speaking here, and, and he says, little children, abide in him. Remain in him. Be connected to him in order that you would have confidence, that you wouldn't have shame. And it would make a lot of sense that if you already know Jesus, you're already talking with him. You're in, he's speaking to you through his word and you are like relationally connected to him. You recognize his voice. There is great affection for him. You know that he loves you and at some point you are excited. You're waiting. You're, there's an eager anticipation for the day that you'll actually meet him face to face. It's like a, a family member that came and was a part of your family and you loved them and knew them and walked with them and you have memories together and then they leave and they go on a trip and they're abroad but you continue to keep in contact you're skyping all the time you're texting all the time you are praying for them and with them your hearts are still united together and you know at one spot they're coming back and whether it's in the airport or whatever as they come home there's no nervousness of like, what are they going to think? I wonder how they've changed or how I've changed. You're actually thinking, I cannot wait to embrace them. And I have no idea whether we're just going to laugh and giggle like middle school girls or whether we're going to like ball down and ugly cry. Like, I have no idea what's going to happen. But I can't wait to the moment where he's with me face to face. And what makes the difference between the shame and the sin and the eager anticipation is abiding. It's not striving, it's, not, it's abiding and remaining in Christ. And so I'm taking longer on this verse than the rest because it sets up uh, the entire passage. So now, dear children, remain in Him. Uh, in 1 John 4, which I'm sure you'll get to, uh, John reiterates this again, and this is a great, great repetition that John uses. But he says, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us. What is the test? Because he, Jesus, has given us his spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love of God has for us. God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in Him. So remains, is connected in Him. By this, His love is love perfected in us. So that we have confidence in the day of judgment. The perfect love casts out fear. Confidence, not shame. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. John's point in 2.28 is that those who are remaining in him, what they've heard from the beginning about Jesus they've experienced as they've walked with Jesus and they can't wait for it to be fulfilled in the physical manifestation in the presence of Jesus so the question this morning is what what would cause us to have shame what would cause us to be insecure what would cause us to to shrink back at the thought, like, if today was the day that this is fulfilled and Jesus comes, hallelujah, would, how would you feel? Would you, would you be bold? Would you be ready to run and greet and celebrate and worship him? Or is there a part of you that just is so is uncomfortable? Go, man. How is he going to deal with my dualism? How is he going to deal with my hypocrisy? How is he going to deal with my pornography? How is he going to deal with my abuse? Or how is he going to deal with my whatever? Fill in the blank. This is the tension that John addresses. 
John's point, if you're taking notes this morning, the point that's going with this is that children of God remain in Jesus. They abide in Jesus. Children of God remain in Jesus. Verse 29, uh, keep going with me, and we're going to speed up here a little bit. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. This verse begins... Uh, John's unpacking of two different types of people. If you know, if you know Jesus, you know that he's holy and he's righteous. You, you know about him and you, you know his righteousness. And if you truly know him, you also begin to practice and live out righteousness. And that's the identifying mark of a child of God. Children of God don't just remain in Jesus. Children of God are in the likeness of Jesus. They know the Messiah, so they know what a Christian looks like. Because they believed in their past that Jesus has saved them and forgiven them, therefore, they are walking in forgiveness. They renounce sin. They turn from it and pursue righteousness. Notice the verse starts with a conditional phrase, if. If. It's an if-then kind of moment. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. This is the test. How do we know if someone's a true Christian? Children of God are in the likeness of Jesus. Picking up in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, What kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it does not know Him. John's, John is so straightforward in his grammar, he just says, listen, here is the point. Children of God are loved, and they know that they're loved. They know they're comfortable with their dad. They're comfortable in their family and they're comfortable in their skin because they know who they are. It's like the best illustration we have is divine object lesson of family that John is using. Is we know. Everywhere that I go with my kids, I walk into some place like with Hunter's teacher. Before I even met her, she says, oh, you're Hunter's dad? I said, yeah, how, how do you know? Oh, well, he looks just like you. Yeah. He, in fact, you guys stand the same way. When Hunter was two, we went to this wedding, and I dressed him like me because that's what I do. And uh, so here he is in, like, slacks and a tie and a shirt for the first time in his life. And I'm in slacks and a tie and a shirt, and I'm officiating. And beforehand, the photographer caught this picture of us both standing together, and we both have our hands in our pockets, and we didn't realize we were doing this. We're both standing here, and I'm like this, like, huh? And Hunter's standing right next to me, like, you know. <laughs> but he's got his hands. And we both have our shoulders the same way, our hands in our pockets the same way. We're wearing the same clothes, and we're just like, yep, we look like bosses. We know. <laughs> we know. Like, here we are for the wedding, and we're kind of uncomfortable in a tie. And, uh, but just, you look at us and go, oh my gosh, those two go together. Or, um, <coughs> or mannerisms. You know, those of you that have kids, you know, all of a sudden you start seeing the best and the worst of you, like, come out in your kids. You're like, oh my gosh, I do say that. <laughs> I can't believe they just repeated that. Or uh, they tell jokes that you do. They take on the sense of humor that you have. There's a way, you just see that there's a certain DNA that comes from being part of the family. And children of God are in the likeness of Jesus. They're recognized because they have the DNA of Jesus. They know his righteousness and it's seen in them. And so they take on the heart of Jesus. They take on the attributes and some of the character of Jesus because they know him. And then they know that they're loved. The best commentary of what it means to be a child of God is the verse that we read this morning in the in the worship. I love it when God does that. When there's a, I leaned over to my wife and I'm like, that's in my message. Sweet. But John 1, 12 and 13, I just want to read this again. He says, but 
who all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. The moment that you receive him and that you believe in his name, you become part of the family of God. It doesn't matter if you've how, what you've done or what's been done to you or how you've identified yourself so far. God's kids know that they're loved with a unique love, a parental kind of love that's an eternal love, a, a love that's reserved for only his kids. And when we first started having kids, I was absolutely terrified that I would be able to fully love all of my kids. Like, my love for my wife is different than my kids. As, as I learned in my, more and more about Shauna as we dated, I grew in my love for her with your kids. And those of you that are parents, you know this. The moment your child is born, your heart, the capacity to love just increases. It's an immediate love that is there. And God's kids, they sense that. They know that. They know that they're loved. That even though the parents may be the sense of the, the source of discipline or the source of correction, that, the, the, the love is much greater than any sort of fear. It drives their respect and, and their primary identity is that they know that they're loved by their father. Do you know the love of the father? Like, do you know that you know that God loves? I think it's the hardest thing for a Christian to truly believe is that they're actually loved by God. It's the most elementary truth that is the hardest for us to actually believe. So John says, that children of God are loved like Jesus. And how do we know? Is that Jesus sacrificed himself. He laid down his life. We measure love not by how we feel. We measure love not by the words that are said. We measure, love is measured by the sacrifice that is given. And there is no greater sacrifice than God the Father trading his son's life for ours. I can't fathom that kind of love. I cannot fathom trading the love of uh, the the life of one of my kids for anyone else on the planet. I cannot fathom that kind of love. And this is the way that we know that God loves us, that he laid down his life for us. And the world doesn't recognize it. They don't get it. They don't really know how to receive us as, as Christians. They, don't, they look at the church and they make all sorts of judgments, but the world and those that are of the world, it's kind of like they're on the outside. It's like within the church, it's almost like we have this inside joke. <laughs> have you ever been a part, like, there's a great line in the office. Any office fans here? NBC when the office was out? Okay. <laughs> there's this great line where, Dwight goes, or uh, Michael Scott says, they're telling a joke, and, he goes, and he's just laughing his head off, and then, and then they go, no, 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 it's an inside joke. You, should, you had to have been there. And he's like, I love inside jokes. I hope to be part of one someday. <laughs> and I just die every time I see it. YouTube it, it's great. Um, but sometimes I feel like this in going somewhere and sharing the gospel with someone. I'm like, man, I just have to explain to you what it's like to know God and know God's love and who Jesus is and what he's done on your behalf. And after a while, kind of feel like, man, there's no matter what, I can't put into words how great it is to be loved and to be known and abide in Christ. And there's a part of me that goes, you just have to experience it for yourself. It's like you've just, you've had to be there. Because there's, the world doesn't know him. They haven't seen him. But we know that when he appears, or uh, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself, but he says, 
And we know that children of God are loved like Jesus. And it says that not all, I'm trying to find my spot. He says, the reason why the world does not know us is that it doesn't know him. There's a sort of confusion as the world looks in on the church. It goes, man, what are these guys all about? But children of God are loved like Jesus in the next uh, part. It says it um, in verse 2, Beloved, he speaks to him as dearly loved. Now that you are loved, he says, be loved. We are God's children now. To reiterate it over and over and over. Right now. Right now. Like in the present. We are God's children. And then he says, what we will be has not yet appeared. We're God's children now, but what we will be isn't fully appeared. We know that when he appears, when Jesus comes back, <coughs> we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. The repetition is so that you understand that you're loved and that he has been made known that, that we are belong to him. But we're caught in this already not yet kingdom. We're caught in the tension that, of, that we have been adopted into his family, that we have been fully forgiven and we have been purified. We've been made holy by Jesus, not by anything that we've done, but by what he accomplished on the cross. And so when Jesus died on the cross, it forgave us of our sin. And so the gospel is the deliverance for the penalty of sin. And when Jesus rose from the grave, he gave us the power not just a deliverance from sin to justify us in the atonement, but he gave us the power to overcome sin, the resurrected life, to live with him. But we all realize that we still struggle in our sin. And that's what he addresses in chapter 1, that we still, we're in this already not yet tension, that we've been saved and we're currently being saved, and that when he comes again, we will fully belong to him. So he's saying, don't doubt. You don't have no reason to doubt your assurance now. You are a child of God. You are his child. Now you can know that. He loves you. Where's the confidence? Where is the boldness? It's in our identity and our standing in Christ because of what he's done for us. But he's saying, and then when he comes, when he appears, we shall be like him. We'll be fully like him. When we see him now, we've seen him on his earthly ministry. But that's nothing. Because we, there's nothing compared to when we see Jesus manifest in his heavenly glory. And when we see him in his heavenly glory, it's going to purify us fully. It's going to bring the confidence and the boldness because we'll be reminded of, of the, his greatness. The cross tells us what Jesus has saved us from. The resurrection points to what Jesus has saved us for. Eternity. So children of God are in the process of becoming like Jesus. They're loved like Jesus, and they're becoming like Jesus. And everyone who thus hopes in himself, I'm sorry, that is actually heresy, let me try that in a different way. That's actually the scripture. Everyone who thus hopes in him, Jesus, purifies himself as he is pure. It's the ongoing, continual action that we are becoming more and more in the image of Jesus. The holiness is that we're set apart from the world. The purity is that we are not sinning, that we no longer have sin. And as a result, holiness is the top priority in the life of a believer. Not just pastors, special Christians, all Christians. We're given the model for that in Jesus' life, but Jesus is the example and the standard of, of what it means to be holy. And purity means that we're that we're completely cleansed. 
It's all been taken away. We're clean from our sin before God. We've been justified. And so children of God put their hope in Jesus. Jesus is their hope. Children of God put their hope in Jesus. In verse 4, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness, and he's equating sin with rebellion. Instead of keeping God's commands, there are another type of people. There are people who are not keeping God's commands. And how do you know if you're a child of God or not? It is seen in your life. And he says this is the opposite kind of person. The person that's not in righteousness and not purifying themselves. There's another kind of person. And, and it's everybody else who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. This is what sin is. You're in rebellion to God. Verse 5, he says, You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. Past tense. That Jesus came in order to deal with sin. To do away with sin. To conquer sin. And in him... There is no sin. This is the same language as abiding, connected to, in Christ. There is no sin. Not only is it forgiven and wiped away, not only is Jesus the one who delivers us from the penalty of sin, He is also the one, through the Holy Spirit, Jesus is the one who empowers us for a righteous life. He's the one who gives us the power to overcome sin. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. In him there is no sin. There's one Savior. Jesus came to redeem sinners. His atoning sacrifice is for our sins. And so children of God are forgiven by Jesus. We know that we're forgiven by him. We put our hope in him and are forgiven by him. Verse 6. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning, and no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. John says positively that those that don't renounce their sin, those that continue in the same pattern of habitual sin, those whose lives look no different as, as Christians than they do as before they were Christians, they're not true Christians. How do you know the difference? It is seen and evidenced in a righteous life, in a pure life. And we're so sometimes nervous to talk about this in church because we want to say that we're saved by grace through faith and we're saved by grace, but our grace is then evidenced in a righteous life. And it's seen, there's a visible, visible demonstration of the gospel in our lives when we're walking with Jesus because we've seen him, we've been forgiven by him, and we're being empowered to live righteously. But there are another type of person, those that are continuing in sin. Their lives aren't looking different. And this, uh, just, just like he was talking about earlier in, in chapter 1, that this is what uh, separates. This is the test between the true church, his true family, and those that are just kind of faking it. It would be like the difference of... <laughs> Never mind, I don't want to get cultural. But I was thinking of all that we're finding out in the news. Someone who claims to be African-American and, and then one point she is living her entire purpose and life and message is for, is for standing up for the rights and, uh, of the African-American community and then at some point it hits the news. It's nationwide news all of a sudden that she's been faking her ethnicity her entire life. The ultimate poser. And some of us have been doing that in the church. And that's what John's saying. The, the test is seen in his life. So children of God, they act like Jesus. 
Verse 8, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. It keeps going, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. They identify with the devil more than with Jesus. Verse 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. This is literally God's DNA is in them. He cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. And so no one who is born of God will continue to sin. This verse is one of the most difficult passages to interpret in 1 John. And I cannot stand up and tell you that I've got my mind wrapped around this today because I'm still struggling with exactly what it means. Because the language is so black and white that if you have sin, you're not a child of God. But it, it certainly cannot mean that because we use Scripture to interpret Scripture. And in chapter 1 and 2, John is very clearly giving us the tension of being in the already not yet kingdom. He's already saying that, that while we continue in sin, we know that we're forgiven. And so the best interpretation that I can have uh, of this passage is that it would be a lifestyle of continual habitual sin. That's the best that I can offer um, with it. And so I just sometimes... You know, I mean, Andrew's a lot smarter than me and has degrees and stuff, and so he'll come up and, like, break it all down and parse it all out for you. But the best that I can give you from this is that even though John's language is harsh, sometimes we want to, like, do away with the harshness of Scripture. John just says, listen, if you have sin, you're not a child of God. It is that simple. But we know that that's not fully. We have to put this statement in the context of the letter and go, no, what he's really saying is that there, there, there's more... To it, the tone is that he is, God is serious about our sin. And those that have a lifestyle of ongoing habitual sin, Christians who don't renounce their sin and turn to and, and are pursuing righteousness aren't true Christians. That's clear. It's clear and it's bold in the text. But there's, there's a but is that he is continually forgiving because we know that we all continue to struggle in sin. And, and so I put it this way. No one who's born of God will continue to sin. And so if you kind of bring it all down, children of God remain in Jesus. They are in the likeness of of Jesus. The children of God are loved like Jesus. Children of God are becoming like Jesus. Children of God put their hope in Jesus. Children of God are forgiven by Jesus. Children of God act like Jesus. And children of God are changed by Jesus. And so if you were to put an are you question mark in the front of all those, it would be like, are you remaining in Jesus? Are you in the likeness of Jesus? Do you know that you're loved like Jesus? Have you put your hope in Jesus? Do you know that you're forgiven by Jesus? Past, present, and future. Are you acting like Jesus? And are you changed by Jesus? I believe the main point that I want to focus on the, of the entire text is that there is no mistaking a child of God. Even more obvious than human DNA passed on from one generation to the other, those that have been adopted into his family, the seed is in us. God's DNA. There is no mistaking a child of God. So why does it matter? Uh, in our culture today, much of the church seems to identify more with the world than with Jesus. We've preached the gospel of easy believism. That if you just accept Jesus in your heart, that you'll be saved someday. So we have those that are claiming and believing that they're Christians who are living in fear and in shame and the idea of standing before a holy God freaks them out. We don't really 
we've kind of watered down really the commitment level or really not talked too much about how Jesus deals with our sin. We haven't really screamed from the mountaintops that your relationship with God changes your life. If your life has not been changed, then you don't know God. To the extent that you know God, to the extent that you are, it's proportional, the extent that you are abiding in Him and remaining in Him is to the extent that your life is reflected of Him. And so all of a sudden these cultural pressures come and we see entire denominations bending right now under the cultural pressure of the homosexual agenda. And the church will have to decide whether it's going to stand on God's word or whether we will reinterpret what sin is. Will we love the world enough to say, we understand that there are pressures and that there are voices and that you may from an early age have thought and been told and been drawn in a certain direction, but there is a greater identity than any identity that is put on you from the world. And I remember, the, you know that awkward stage in middle school when you don't know who you are? I wore sweatpants every day of my life until middle school. And then it went to baggy jeans. I wanted to wear like size 38 jeans. My waist was 14, right? Like, I mean, it was like, I wanted to be this punk rocker. I didn't know who I was. And so you have all these pressures in middle school and high school. And then in high school, you start really figuring out kind of who you are. You go, oh, I'm kind of, I'm a jock or I'm a skater or I'm a punk rocker or I'm like whoever. And you start identifying with this group of people. And some start realizing, man, I really get along with boys a lot more than I am with girls. And so, or I'm, I'm maybe uh, identifying with this racial group a lot more than I am my own racial group. Or I'm identifying with people who play this sport and I'm affirmed in these things. Or I'm identified as an artist or, and, and I excel in these areas and affirmed in this area. And so we start believing who the world says that we are and the voices are loud and they're all around us and they're cultural and they're strong and they're and the church children of God have a voice that is louder than all of the voices that says you're my child there is something that trumps and supersedes that is supreme of what it means to be a child of God. And so it matters. But unfortunately, it's difficult to, oftentimes today in our culture, to know and separate the attitudes and lifestyles of the church and those that are in the world. We need to be reawakened to our true identity. We need to be reawakened by the cross and who Jesus is and what he's done for us. We need to be reawakened to the truth of the gospel. And we need to know that we know that we know that we're his child. It matters because we struggle and we all struggle. There's this, the world has such a grip on us. We live in this already but not yet kingdom. We, it will do no good for us to leave here and decide that we are going to do better or to try harder because striving and abiding are in direct opposites of each other. That our what we do comes out of who we are. We can't be defined by who we are, by our actions or what we do. Who we are in Christ is, is, the, true, is the true motivation. It's a changed heart where Paul says, don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of the world. Be transformed. Being conformed is from the outside in. Being transformed is from the heart outward. It goes the other way. Our only hope today is to believe the gospel. 
to have a fresh awakening of the gospel, to rejuvenate our hearts with the truth that we belong to God. And it is great to be one of God's kids. It is awesome. We need to, uh, maybe I just will wrap up and close with this. No matter if you find yourself today in the, man, it's good to be abiding and knowing and loving God, and I can't wait for his return. Or maybe you find yourself more in the, I'm really not sure I'm a true Christian right now, camp. I've been walking with, I've been going to church and doing all this stuff, but I'm, I'm not sure my life matches up to the test. I'm not sure. Because I have shame and I'm nervous about what it would be like to stand before a holy God. And I'm not 100% sure that I belong to him. Or maybe you're over here and you're going, man, I came in here today and I am clearly of the world. And I'm experimenting. I'm like kind of seeking out and learning like what is, what is this whole message? The same message applies to all of us. That God loves you. That he demonstrated his love. That even while we were, have all lived in rebellion to him, and it deserved to be separated for him for an eternity in hell. Although we all carry the shame and the guilt of what we've done and what's been done to us, God loved us so much that he paid the penalty and the price. The full took upon himself the full wrath of God on the cross when he died. And when Jesus died on the cross, he purchased us. He purchased us for out of being part of the family of the devil to the family of God. And that is available to all of us. And when Jesus rose from the dead, he conquered sin, he conquered death, and he conquered the devil himself. He inaugurated a new kingdom. And he's been gathering a family, a people to himself. A people that will one day know the fullness of His glory as He returns and will be fully purified and made holy. And so you're either today a part of the family of God or He desires you to be. And you can be forgiven. You can know for sure that you're one of God's kids when you remain when you abide and when you believe, when you turn from, you could take a hundred steps away from him, but it takes that one step of saying, God, I accept and believe. I no longer want to be part to have anything to do with my sin and my rebellion. I want to be yours because I believe life with you is really, truly living. So God's children remain in Jesus. Be reminded today as a child of God that you are in the likeness of Jesus. Child of God, you are loved by Jesus. Child of God, you're becoming like Jesus. Child of God, you must put your hope in Jesus. Child of God, you are forgiven by Jesus. Child of God, go act like Jesus. Child of God, be changed by Jesus. There is no mistaking a child of God. Father, we thank you today. Fill us again with the wonder and awe of knowing you and being your child. If there is any that is here today that is unsure or that has been, knows that they're not part of your family, God, today, by your Holy Spirit, would you change their heart? Would they recognize that because of your great love for them, that they have been invited into this family? That they can know 
your love, be forgiven of their sins, and know the greatness of walking with you and knowing with you, knowing you for all of eternity. God, would you draw them to yourself? Would today be the day that they cross that line from being of the world to being your kid? And those of us that know you, that put our hope, trust, and faith in you, God, today, would you remind us and encourage us with the hope that we have in you? God, would you reawaken us? Would you punch us in the face again with the reality of the truth that we are radically loved by you? And God, would our lives continually be changed? And we cannot wait. We are filled with eager hope and anticipation of when you return and we will see you in your full glory for who you are. I thank you that we can be your kids. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, be encouraged this morning by God's word. Thank you so much uh, for having us and please continue also to be praying for uh, our church uh, in Bellingham. So that's it. Thanks, bro. Thanks for uh, letting me open the word this morning. Yeah.